This episode of the Nerdball Podcast is brought to you by Fort Meigs CrossFit. Thanks to everyone at Fort Meigs CrossFit for allowing me to use their studio, their office space for my studio. Um, it's been a great partnership. The uh, everyone that comes in here sees the professional has a professional feel. They really enjoy it here. So thanks to them for for uh, allowing me to record up here. They have uh, classes seven days a week for any age group. So if you're looking for any information about what they have to offer, check out FortMexCrossFit.com. My guest today uh, is uh, someone I met through horticulture, through my job. Um, saw her speak at different uh, events that I went to, uh, either for school or for, for my job. She's a great resource for around the area. You know, we talk about um, how she got into horticulture, how she, uh, you know, what she did in high school, you know, how she picked the school. Uh, she ultimately went to Owens, you know, the, getting her degree there and, cont- and continuing her education the jobs she has at OSU Extension, what all that entails, and then we end up talking about a lot of invasive bugs, uh, emerald ash borer, spider lanternfly, different uh, other uh, pests and diseases um, that we deal with here around the county. Uh, she's a great resource, and please check out the links that are posted in the show notes for if you have any questions about anything. Um, check out uh, check out all our social media for updates on the podcast and. Uh, Give us an email at uh, thenerdballpodcast at gmail.com. Again, I had a great time talking to her, uh, and I look forward to you all hearing it. Hi, this is Amy Stone, and welcome to the Nerdball Podcast. This is the Nerdball Podcast with Lorenzo Melcher. First take. Good job, Amy. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. Yeah? Have you been on many podcasts? I have not. No? No. You're, you're so out there all the time doing everything, you know, bringing awareness to people about stuff. I would think that someone would have you on. Maybe there's not enough uh, environmental type podcasts out there. Parks and Rec podcasts. That's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so the first question I always ask people, uh, I think it's really important to me. I, I, I like this question. It's what is something you've been nerding out about lately? Something you're super into, a hobby, books, movies, if you're taking cooking classes, something that gets you away from your day job. So something you can just turn off your day job and just say, hey, I'm going to do this for a little bit. I had a best friend of mine who I went to high school with. He was like, I've been really into puzzles lately. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I just like doing puzzles. So like, it can be like a new thing you just started or something you've always done. Yeah. So, boy, that's a lot of things that I kind of nerd out about is, is work-related, right? I, I mean, know. we have those same likes and... But I guess it would have to be kind of spending time with the family and okay. um, have two grandkids with another oh, one nice. on the way. And so it's always enjoyable to spend time with them and see them grow and, you know, interact. Yeah. I want to ask you about being a grandparent because um, my firstborn was the first grandchild on both sides of our family. Uh, how how was it when you watched, the, you watched your grandkid for the first time, uh, like by yourself, uh, how strict were your your as was your your daughter and yes. your, how strict was she with like here are the rules here's what has to be done here's you know really not yeah not strict okay. at all so that was kind of cool and uh, Kaisley our first mm-hmm. uh, was the first on both sides too okay so okay she was pretty spoiled super spoiled yeah <laughs> yeah my actually my mother in law retired to take care of our our son and our kids eventually we had two kids uh, so she she did that for us and my my both my parents and and. My parents and Andrea's parents live in town, so they can see them all the time. But I just said it on an episode uh, uh, earlier this week where, like, 
we were so such new parents. We're like, all right, here's all these schedules. They have to follow. And eventually my mom's like, hey, we can't do, you're the parents. We can't do all this stuff. Can you just let us be grandparents? And I'm like, you're right. Like, I, I'm trying to put too much on you guys. I mean, mm-hmm. you can just, should just have fun with them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How, how much, uh, what, I don't want to say what is the worst thing you've done, but because I always, that sounds negative, but like when you're like, hey, we did this with the kid, like sometimes I'll, I'll come over when our son was little. It's like, uh, he stayed up till like two o'clock watching his phone or whatever, you right. know, like, but that's, you know, but they're grandkids, they're grandparents and let them do whatever, you know. Right. Yeah. Do you remember like something you're like, I don't, re- I know I got to tell them this, but they had too much candy or they, we took them out, did this or did that or whatever. Oh yeah. We, we give them a lot of candy, <laughs> <Yeah>. unfortunately. <laughs> so sometimes they know that when they go back cause they're on a sugar high. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, but that's such a, like a, a grandparent thing, like just Almost to the, almost like do whatever, mm-hmm. uh, as long as you're safe. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. What is there? Is there something like some favorite thing you like to do with them when they come over? Like, is there like, hey, we're going to grandma's house and we know we're going to do this or X, Y, and Z, or she's going to show us these things or whatever. So um, they like to watch movies, of course. Yeah. But I like to get them outside too, and mm-hmm. so we have chickens. Oh, nice. And so they enjoy going out and you know getting the eggs and. Cleaning some eggs and breaking some eggs, but I mean it's kind of all part of it, right? They, yeah. So, how many chickens do you have? Oh, uh, we've got about twenty. Okay, all right. We had ducks for a while. Raised ducks in our backyard, and uh, it was really fun. It was real cool. Um, something got them at some point, mm-hmm. um, but it, it was it was a cool thing, especially because we live in like a regular neighborhood, like just cookie cutter homes right next to each other. And I, luckily I live in a township, so there wasn't as big of a like, mm-hmm. cause I don't know if you remember in Perrysburg, it was like a huge deal, like, I don't know, five, six years ago. Sure. Uh, so we'd have to deal with that cause we're in a township, but, uh, it was cool. My kids really enjoyed it too. Uh, and it was like a learning for me cause I, I didn't know a lot. Like at some point, um, I wasn't getting any eggs. And then I found like a nest of like 20 eggs. Like, oh, they're just all laying on this side of the yard for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. We had the same thing happen to us. So, um, I mean, we had a place for them. And our neighbor texted us one day and said, hey, I love your baby chicks. I'm like, baby chicks? We don't have baby chicks. And here the one had escaped every day outside yeah. of the pen. And she laid eggs and took care of them. And we had like a dozen Baby chicks she, she saw <laughs> walking across our driveway. I'm like, hmm. Wow, that's crazy. Because, I mean, it's it seems so like the eggs are so temperamental where it has to be at these temperatures. And everyone, ha- you know, everything has to be right. perfect. And she was able to. Yeah, we should let them do their thing. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's insane. Do you, ha- do you hatch your own too? We have. We, yeah. we don't have a rooster right now. Okay, um, okay. That's what uh, someone always asked me. It's like, uh, when because when, we had a male. And they're like, well, why do you have to have a male? We're like, well, if we want to hatch more, you know, we right. got to have a male. It's like, wait, so are you just are you eating eggs that are fertilized? Like, yeah, but you can't tell. Like, right. there's no, right. you can't tell. The only thing you can tell is when you crack it open. For I don't know if it's the same as juck as uh, as chickens, but in ducks, it had like they said a little bullseye, mm-hmm. uh, and that's how you can tell. But other than that, like they they're like, oh, they just don't lay eggs. I was like, well, you have they lay eggs, but. They don't need a male to do that, you right? Know? But it, it was cool. I mean, much like you do at your job now, like uh, educating people on things that you love to do. You know, that's that's something I like to do too. Absolutely. So, yeah. And there's speaking of chickens. I mean, there's a lot of people who are exploring mm-hmm. chickens because of the price of eggs and just you know being home for a while yeah. and trying to make that connection to kind of the earth. And so we get a lot of questions about people wanting chickens. Yeah. 
Uh, well, I would, yeah, like you said, it's probably exploded. And yeah. You had to put out flyers like, all right, here's all the same questions. We can keep getting checked this website out. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, have you, did you grow up around this area? Did you? I did. Yeah. And so grew up, um, just across the line in Michigan. Okay. And as I moved around, um, have actually stayed about like a five mile circle from where I grew up as a child. Oh, nice. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, is, I know when people are younger and mostly in high school, you're like, I just want to get out of here. Let me get out of this place. You know, I think that's like 90% right. of people. But uh, So I was the 10% yeah. that was like, hey, I kind of like this community. I like this area. Yeah. I'm happy to stay here. Yeah, well, me too. Like, I, uh, We moved out. We moved to Toledo for a, uh, for like three or four years. Uh, mm-hmm. and then we eventually came back to Perrysburg. We both graduated from Perrysburg. So same way, like... You know, I like being involved and being here, and it's mm-hmm. you know it's familiar too. So sometimes it, the unknown is a little scary for sure. me. You know, and all the families here and everything. You know, my my dad moved, my dad moved when he was fifteen uh, up here. He lived he was from Texas, and he moved up here when he was fifteen to live with his older brother, and and I can't imagine. <laughs> Moving at 15 years old. Right. Uh, all he had was a pillow. His mom, my grandma made him and some clothes and just moved up here. And wow. yeah, wanted to, to get out, you know, be away and f- try to try to make better for himself. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing to do, you know, even when you're an adult, like right. trying to get away. Um, so when you're in, uh, when you're growing up, you're in, in school, I, obviously you work for Ohio State Extension Office, mm-hmm. um, uh, working with the way I know you is I always I associate you with uh, horrible invasive bugs because that, whenever I talk to you that's all that's what we talk about you know you've had classes about spider and lanternfly uh, emerald ash borer you know you've had us at the metro parks go through some things was that something you're always interested in when you were little like not only bugs but just being outdoors being outside I think being outside um, I actually thought that I was going to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And then I took a horticulture class in high school, and I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. And so it's kind of ironic that I'm teaching about horticulture, yeah. <laughs> so not in a traditional classroom, sure. but it kind of all worked out really well. Yeah. What was it when you were younger that you're like, I, I just like the horticulture? I just, being outside, yeah. the plants. I think if you ask anybody that works outside, if you ask anybody, like, why do you want to do this? It's the first uh, the first statement is always like, I just wanted to be outside. Mm-hmm. You know, I know for me, that's what it was. I had a career day yesterday and that's what I talked about. You know, I just, I just, I knew I couldn't sit behind a desk, you know, and I just wanted to be outside. Sure. Where did you spend as a kid? Did you, were you just outside all the time? We did spend a lot of time outside. Yeah. 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 Do you have siblings? I have a younger brother. Yeah. Um, he's in, uh, lives in the Britain area. So not too far from me. Okay. All yeah. Right. Were you a, a typical older sister? Were you beat him up all the time and cause problems or were you? Okay? Uh, that's probably what he would tell me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you thought you were the best older sister. That's ever. right. I think we got along pretty well. Yeah. Well, well that's good. That's good. Uh, especially when there's only two of you. Right. You know, you feel like you, uh, maybe there's a better bond. I know that we have two kids now, so I'm hoping that's the case. They fight now, but they're only 11 and 8, so that's yeah. bound to happen. Uh, as you um, go through high school, were you involved in any clubs or sports or anything in high school? Yeah, I played sports um, at Whiteford. Mm-hmm. Um, we Basketball, softball, volleyball. Um, we had... Really good softball team went yeah. to states a couple times. Oh, nice! So those are really good memories that you have and hold on to. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I love that kind of stuff. I obviously, you know, whenever people come on here, they're always like, "I don't know anything about sports." I was like, "Well, it's not a sports podcast; it's just an anything podcast." Right. Uh, what what uh, what was your favorite sport to do? Probably softball. Yeah, yeah. We, we actually, well, I texted you. That's why we had to move your time, but we got a couple games today. Our first games this spring. Uh, our fields are getting worked on right now, so hopefully we can still. <laughs> be able to do it. it's been a lot of rain this week so i know i the 
where I went to high school, they were supposed to have their first game yeah. last week, and they were canceled because uh, of the field conditions. Yeah. Do you do you stay in contact with with like the school, and do you ever wa- go and watch any of the sports or anything there since you? Yeah, the girls last year went to the state finals, and okay. so there was a group of us that were on our team back in the day yeah. that went, and so it's kind of neat. Oh, that that's cool. That's again just like having memories and having friends that from that you know from that class or from that mm-hmm. have the same memory as you. That's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when you when you're going through high school, uh, when did you take that horticulture class you talked about? Was that in high school? Yeah. Yeah. So as you're as you're getting through high school and you took the horticulture class and you wanted to do, this is what I want to do, you know, was it easy or, or I don't know if it was easy or hard to figure out like, hey, where, where am I going to go to college for this? Yeah, so I looked at uh, Michigan State University and then um, just at that time as I was graduating, Owens Community College started a program. Okay. And obviously, you know that I always stayed close to home. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, hey, this is kind of cool. I wouldn't, I mean, most people like want to get away to go to college yeah. and I'm kind of like, well, kind of like to stay in the area. I had a job. And so um, I met with Chris Foley at Owens mm-hmm. um, and went to Mich- or went to Monroe Community College and got kind of my basics yeah. um, on a scholarship there the first year. Transferred into Owens. Um, it was seamless. And I think I am was the second graduating or graduate of the program. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, th- I-, I went there too. It was a, uh, it's, Foley's awesome. It, it was it was such a good experience. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember? I, I'm just curious on like how things change over the years. Do you remember the classes and stuff you took, or any of the classes you took? Yeah. So the kind of the basic, the soils and the botany, mm-hmm. um, disease and insect. We did a landscape design, but it was like not on the computer. It was bring out the old paper and yeah. pen kind of thing. Yeah. Um, did you have Woody ID and yes. herbaceous and stuff? Yep. Too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those uh, we we did landscape design too. We had Matt was there at the time. Okay, um, and we were still you know coloring and drawing and everything too. Um, but I think I think at some point they had like a CAD type thing too, where you could mm-hmm. do it on on the computer. Uh, I really enjoyed my time there. I'm glad um, I went to school later. Um, I tried after high school and it just wasn't for me, and just got a job and worked. But I went later, and I, I always tell the story. It was funny. I, I took the Owens catalog and was just flipping through it because I wanted I didn't know what I wanted to do and eventually I had landscape turf grass management and X ray tech and those those oh, were my really? two choices yeah and I was like and then again what we bring it back to is like oh I want to be outside mm-hmm. so then that's how I ended up you know going through landscape and turf grass management it was it was uh, like I said it was fun uh, I'm glad I did it and then now I feel bad because it's like people aren't going there people aren't doing it yeah um, I don't know if people just don't know about the program. I mean, it's been here for so long, yeah. and there's so many awesome graduates. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I tried to. There was a, a girl I coached in junior high, and she graduated last year. But she's at, she's down. I don't know if it's a. It's not Ohio State, but it's a school down there. It's a like an agriculture type place down in Columbus. But that's where she's going to school. But I tried to get her to go to Owens. I go, this is such a cool place. This is awesome. Uh, but she wanted to to go down there because it is like you said it's it's uh it's been around a long time and it's it has like roots and it has you know you know I was able to get a job through their job fair they had and mm-hmm. you know like it, it's it helps just get you everywhere absolutely yeah. I I mean I tell Chris Foley all the time that he's the reason I have a job with extension yeah um, I was getting ready to graduate the he saw the job posting and he's like Amy you need to apply for this and at the time it was only a one year. It was a grant-funded position, oh, yeah. but he's like, you know what? Get in there, make your contacts, network, and you know the rest will be history. 
and I joke with my family, 30 years later, I'm still with extension, <laughs> um, but it's because of Chris. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing how, like how much he, I guess it isn't amazing because he does care about everyone, mm-hmm. you know, even for me, like I, towards the end, I was doing my capstone project and I was, I was like struggling with it. I had like, at one point I had like four different things I wanted to do and I like half did ones. And, and at some point he was like, all right, well we got to sit down. We got to go through all these things that you've done and figure out how we can make this work to, so you can graduate, you know? So he helped me like fine tune everything, what I was doing and everything. So I, uh, same way, same thing with you. Like he helped me graduate. Um, not just that for the capstone, but all those classes and everything you took, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always think too, when I sat down for Woody ID, he said, all right, well, you know, here's the class. Here's what we do. We go on some walks and stuff. And, you know, there'll be times where we'll be on the weekend where we go on walks and, and take these tests and stuff. But if someone's like out of town or getting married or whatever, and I raise my hand, he goes, what's going on? I was like, I'm getting married. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, all right, well, we'll work around that, you know. So, And that was cool, too, because because everything's so small, you're just moving from class to class with the same people for the most part. Yes. So that was awesome, too, just to keep connecting with all these people. So anytime there's like a big milestone, like I got married, and then uh, right before I graduated, I found out my wife was pregnant. So like all these things, like you get to like enjoy together mm-hmm. you know and I, I like that about the small classes there absolutely did you do one of the contests like where you traveled and competed no i could never do that because i had a full-time job and i just i could never get off work to do that but i always wanted to i always i would talk to them about it um i just saw pictures from the one this past uh i don't know a few weeks ago i think happened mm-hmm. uh, so i saw pictures that same girl that i talked about was was doing it but it always looks so much fun yeah. yeah, they didn't do that when oh, no? I started. So I was kind of always jealous that, hey, they get to go <laughs> see all these wonderful places. Yeah, I think they went to Denver when I was there one time and mm-hmm. like to just go all over the country. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. What an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like being able to bring that to a, the community college, you know, the kids around this, this uh, community to, to experience some of that stuff. Because some people may, may never do it again. Right. You know, may never be able to go somewhere again. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Uh, so you, you talked about, uh, uh, getting a job at OSU Extension. Uh, mm-hmm. What was your the, the first year? What was your what was the job? So, like I said, it was kind of a, it was a grant, and it was called the Agricultural Business Enhancement Center. Mm-hmm. But my part of that grant was to actually cover horticulture in eight counties to relieve some of the time that the traditional ag and natural resources educators were um, kind of being pulled away from their expertise, their passion, by people asking more what I would call consumer horticulture questions. And so I was kind of their point person for horticulture and got to um, do programming, teaching, answer questions for that eight-county region. So were you, I mean, I feel like a lot of the time you were, were you moving around going from different places or were you able to do a lot of stuff from your office? So I was housed um, in the Lucas County office um, originally and did some things from the office, like Mm -hmm. phone calls and emails and that kind of thing. But no, I was out in the counties doing programming. And and how how long ago was this when your first job? So that was in 92. Okay. All right. Uh, so as you, so your first year, your how long, how long does this, does that last then? Were, were you, were you nervous? Cause I would imagine it's a grant thing at some point you're like, all right, what's going to happen like after this? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cause I had gotten married. I had the insurance. It's like, well, gosh, what, you know, what's next? Yeah. And Chris is like, just make your connections, yeah. your networking, you'll be great. Um, so that actually lasted for about eight years okay. and then there was an opening in Lucas County and I thought, you know what, now is probably a good time to really kind of maybe focus in 
on a particular county or a particular area and make a really big difference in a smaller setting. Mm-hmm. And so I applied for that position. Um, and, and with that said, I mean, we're encouraged to do regional and national programming with our expertise. Yeah. So it's not like I just stay in Lucas County, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of a home base for me. Sure. And it's been a really good move. So in, when you're in that position for eight years, is did it turn into a, a full position or was it always like, hey, we got to get this grant every time? So it was still grant funded. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they would find dollars like that would probably last us two years. Okay. Um, at that point, because um, I just had my associate's degree, I knew working for a university, I mean, they really push education. Yeah. And so everybody that I was working with was like, go back to school, get that next degree mm-hmm. um, and keep at it. And so I went to the University of Toledo. They had a uni- uh interdisciplinary study program where you kind of developed your own program. Oh yeah. I looked into that too. Yep. So I took some park and recreation classes, communication, botany, biology type classes, and, um, got my, um, bachelor's degree. Uh And then everybody's like, keep going. You don't stop. (laughs) Because if you stop, you know, it's going to be hard to get back into that swing of things. And so stayed at UT um, and got my master's degree in vocational education, which really probably was the closest fit to what I was doing. Mm, Okay. Yeah. I I worked at UT for seven years. So I looked into that because they pay for your schooling for the Mm -hmm. most part. And I just, I was just done with school. Yeah. Like I just, I couldn't do it. I, I, Signed up for one class and I was like, I just can't do it. Like I was like, well, it's free. I could take a class here or there. Eventually, you know, get it was that same thing. Yeah, uh, creating your own degree more or less. And and I just yeah, I got to the point like they said. I just it just it was hard for me to get my two year degree. You know, and I right. was like, I can't you know try to work full time at this point. I had two kids and mm-hmm. you know and doing all these other things I do. It was just it was hard. But um, sometimes I think about like, man, I should have at least taken a few classes because it's free for the most part. Right. But, you know, I just, I don't know if I would have been happy about it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and I guess, I guess that's probably ultimately why I decided not to do it. Sure. No one's going to be happy if I'm upset all the time. So, <laughs> uh, so you said after eight years, you, you get this position with the county. Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that position entail? Or what do you think? So, I mean, it's still with Ohio State University, mm-hmm. but county-based. It was the Agriculture and Natural Resources Educator position. Okay. All right. And like you said earlier, like, you're, you know, you thought about being a teacher and this is, you know, what, basically what it is. You're like, Hey, I'm teaching about all these things, you know, mm-hmm. is that what your position is still? It is. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Has, how much has it changed from when you first started to what, to where you're at now? So I guess huge changes in the kind of the social media aspect of it. Yeah. Um, and the online aspect. And then of course, COVID, I mean, yeah. took it to a whole nother level where we used to travel around like crazy going to different programs. And now, I mean, that face-to-face is still good, and that's what I prefer. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, if we get in a bind with our schedule, hey, we'll just put you on virtually, and we'll put your screen up, and <laughs> you can teach that way. And yeah. So um, I guess that combination of different ways to reach people mm-hmm. um, that I would have never thought of when I started. Well, I'm sure, too, like what the way you see it and other educators see it is like whatever we can use to get our message out there. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, like you said, face to face is the best. I would be. I have. I have a friend who sells um, like software 
um, but he sells it through Zoom. And I was talking to him about it. And I was like, you know, I think it'd be good at that because I like talking to people and everything. And, and you know, I can still see people. And he, he, we were on a Zoom together and he turned his camera off. He goes, this is how you, this is how I have to sell to people. And it's just their name. I, you don't even get to see their faces. He goes, nobody turns their cameras on. I was like, oh, that's so frustrating. Right. Absolutely. You got to be able to like, it, it'd be so hard to, to do anything, sell, teach without seeing some interaction. Even if they're silent, at least you can see their face and kind right. of go off that. Yeah, sometimes, though, they're multitasking, doing things yeah. that can be like, whoa. <laughs> okay, you can turn your camera off. <laughs> I don't want to see you. That's You're right. <laughs> I don't want to know what you're having for lunch. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he showed me that. I was like, oh, I, mean, I can't do that. Yeah. I got I to gotta be able to talk to people. Right. Uh, or see people at the very least. So um, what is what has been, I know, uh, I do want to talk about Emerald Ashbor and Spotted Lanternfly. Um, but what has, are you able, are you and other people in uh, your positions and, and people that you talk to, are you able to see these things ahead of time before they're like, oh my gosh, there's this new bug here now? Like, can you, can you, like, can you, do you guys ever like forecast anything or is it just like, hey, it's here now and we got to deal with it? So I don't know about forecasting, if that would be the right term, but like with Emerald Ashbor is a really good example. Uh-huh. When it was first discovered, I mean, it was on, it was on nobody's radar mm-hmm. in 2002. And, um, when it was found in Canton, Michigan, outside of Detroit, I thought, gosh, that's we're pretty close to yeah. that, right? And so I was able to engage with Dr. Deb McCullough at Michigan State University and, and just kind of offer, hey, if you have field work, if you need grunt labor, mm-hmm. if you whatever I can do, because I want to experience it firsthand out in the field mm-hmm. before I have to, if and when it gets to Ohio. Yeah. And we did the same thing with spotted lanternfly. So last fall, we did a study tour to Pennsylvania, where a bunch of educators from Ohio went to experience it firsthand. Because we're teaching about it, and, mm-hmm. and we can watch videos, and we can listen to researchers, but there's nothing like getting out in the field and you know seeing it and you know grabbing onto the insect and you know taking our own photos. And so I don't so. You know, we have, there's a list of kind of watch pests Mm -hmm. that are in other countries that, boy, if they made it to the United States, that could be a bad thing. Um, But I'm fearful of those pests that aren't on the radar and make their way this way. How, when when Emerald Ash Borer not even came to Ohio, but just came to the United States, how, how much did you know about it? Like you, just you personally. Did you know anything Nothing. about it? Okay. And that's the same thing with the folks in Michigan. I yeah. mean, somebody, the ash trees were dying, and, oh, that's ash kind of just mm. doing the ash because maybe we had some droughty years. And it wasn't until somebody was like, no, this is bigger than that. We, we need to figure this out. And so they were thinking maybe like a pathogen. Oh. And so they were bringing samples um, into the lab to, to diagnose what was going on. And all of a sudden, these beetles just started emerging. Really? And Oof, I yeah. Get goosebumps. And so, you know, they went to Michigan State. They went to Michigan Department of Agriculture, and they're like, like, well, we don't, we don't know it. Yeah. it looks like, you know, a bubested beetle, but, and so that's when they kind of made a call out to scientists around the world and said, Hey, anybody know what this insect is? Yeah. I, I would imagine they, they chose pathogen first because that, that was like the, the biggest one from Dutch album disease, right? right? Like, well, this has happened before with the tree. So, you know, maybe this is what it is. And I guess you got to start somewhere. You don't know what's going to happen right. you know, or, or what's happening, but that, that's I guess that's an issue too with like anything anything living, anything, you know, the trees, even grass, turf, like when stuff starts going wrong, you're just like, Well, it's you know, it's 
it's a living thing. Like it's just going doing whatever. Maybe it got too much sun, or maybe this or that. Like you, you you're not like worried about bugs right away, right. you know. And now maybe that's changing because we've had Emma Dashboard and now Spider Lanternfly. But um, I remember going like once I got into the field. I think I don't remember when I got my first job uh, with Margie at Premier Gardening Services. But I remember like that was a big thing. Like we would talk about and we would see. And then and then when you're in it, it's kind of like when you buy a brand new car and then all you see is that car, right? So like when you're in it and you and then you start noticing like all these trees. And then when you hear like, hey, we're quarantine areas. We're just cutting all the ash trees down to see if we can stop this thing. You know, were were those all like cutting all the trees down? Like, was that just something that people were hopeful of because they had no idea like how far these things could fly or what they did? Like, but at at one point where they're like, all right, we got this, we know exactly how this bug operates, or is that still like they don't know? No, so they, I mean, they were obviously learning that along the way, Mm -hmm. but they thought, um, and the concept was good, right? So if it had to arrive anywhere, Michigan was a good state. It was surrounded by water, except that Michigan-Ohio line. Uh And so if we can create a natural ash-free zone that this insect can't fly across. And so in concept, that was good. But of course, humans get in the way. And so we're moving firewood, Mm -hmm. we're moving infested nursery stock. And so we just drive through that buffer where the insects maybe would not have made it across. So we we play, just like with a lot of things, we play a huge role in how we affect our environment. And all you can do is say, here's the things you should not be doing right now. And right. cross your fingers, hope people don't do it. Or maybe they, they are being as safe as they can. They're like, hey, you know what, this... We think this is good and we're going to do this. And it, it ends up having, you know, an infestation or whatever. Right. You know. Um, when... Where are we at with that right now, Emerald Ashbore? Yeah, interesting. So... When it first started, um, Dr. Davis Sidner with Ohio State University was doing some host preference studies and was looking for a place um, to do the study. And we had area or property. So I said, you know what, you can plant the trees up at our property. And so he did and did that study. Of course, most of the ash died, but there were some that either had maybe some resistance or just dumb luck that they were missed or that they re-sprouted. And so the the insect kind of moved on, oh, okay. and the re-sprouts occurred. The The tissue was too little for them to reinfest. Mm-hmm. And so um, we've got some ash trees still on our property. And last year, I thought I noticed some feeding injury on the leaves. But there's other things that could feed on ash leaves. But kind of was watching, and this year, one of the trees at the corner was just top to bottom woodpecker hits. Oh, really? And so I went out with my draw knife, pulled back, and I mean, it was full of emerald ash borer. So there's obviously residual populations that are just there, and then it it just happened that it started to peak. So I've got to decide if I'm going to maybe treat some of the trees to try to prolong or just kind of let nature take its course and see if there's any true survivors. Yeah. And that's cool, too, to, to understand, like, when you see... Like that woodpecker, when you see the woodpecker, you're like, oh, something's going on here. You know, I, I think Margie used to tell me about this book. I think it's, it was called Coincide. Mm-hmm. Um, and she always used to talk about, I think it was you prune, maybe it was you prune the roses when the forsythia bloom. Mm-hmm. I think that's what she, she would say. I can't remember for sure. Um, but I like things like that where like when you, as opposed to just like looking for this one thing, well, you got to look for these other things and they'll tell you if that other thing's right. Like, you know. Yeah, we use forsythia for pre-emergent crabgrass control. Okay, yeah. So when forsythia is blooming, you better get your crabgrass prevention down because uh, okay. just after that's the temperatures, the conditions are ideal for crabgrass to germinate. Yeah, that, that's, you know, I, I always talk about that book and I've never 
like purchased it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I should. I should just buy it. I mean, I could buy it through the Metro Parks now and I have to pay for it and just have it. But, right. but yeah, I always talk about it because it is an interesting like way of looking at things. Yeah. For, for It helps a lot of people, not just people who are, know exactly what they're doing. Right. And that's the concept behind plant phenology. Mm. And so looking and monitoring your growing degree day units. And what happens is, you know, plants don't bloom on the same day every year mm-hmm. or insects don't emerge on the same day every year, like you and like our birthdays. Yeah. I mean, it's all temperature and weather dependent, but it coincides, right? And so it's this biological calendar of things that happen. So I know that gypsy moth or now spongy moth will hatch when redbud is blooming. Okay. So instead of having to go look for egg masses and try to monitor that insect, I just look around for red bud. Yeah. Now you've got to ground truth it, right? And, you know, make sure mm-hmm. that, you know, you don't have a microclimate or something weird is going on. But that is, I love plant phenology. Yeah. I, yeah, I got to look more into that because I think, I think that's pretty cool. Um, so with the emerald ash borer, it's kind of, I feel like uh, our, our society is just like, well, that's it. We're, we're over. We're over it. Like not that it's done. We're just like we're moving on to this new thing. And with your job, it's like well, we still got to monitor all these things, do all these things. Uh, and what makes it more difficult is when new pests come. And now we're dealing with spider and lanternfly. And um, I remember, like I said earlier, take you had Metro Parks um, staff, and we would hunt. We're hunting off egg masses and stuff. And um, but now, now that is a huge deal, and I think what makes it worse is emerald ash borer. Obviously, it has a name; it affects ash trees. This spider lanternfly is like here's this laundry list, of, <laughs> laundry right. list of, of trees that it's going to affect. Yes, and it's not an outright killer. Mm-hmm. So some people are like, oh, you know, just another insect. But until that insect invades your property yeah. and population numbers, I mean. Back in the gypsy moth days, um, I mean, we used to say it's raining frass. So their excrement, you know, they're feeding up in the canopy. It's falling down like rain. And so when people can't be outside to enjoy their patio or their pool, I mean, that's that makes it personal, right? And so um, that's what we're trying to prepare people for with spotted lanternfly. Um, Yeah, if you have grapevine or hops, you've got to really be careful or cautious because their feeding will stress the plants enough that if coupled with like a polar vortex or another insect, I mean, it could be deadly and they've seen plants die because of it, but it's going to be just the hundreds and thousands of insects that are flying and hopping all over and then their excrement, their honeydew, um, that's just going to be, you know, not acceptable to many people in their own backyards. Yeah. Have you gotten or received a lot of calls about, hey, uh, I think it's here, or I think I have it in my yard? So the good news is, I mean, I think we're doing a good job getting the word out because mm-hmm. people are reporting what they suspect is spotted lanternfly. Now, unfortunately, there have been some cases in Lucas County that, yep, it's an adult, but we haven't found any egg masses to indicate like a reproducing population. Okay. But we've also had people report things that they thought maybe was spotted lanternfly, but it ended up not being it. But I'm like, you know what? Check that off to a positive because people are engaged and are yeah. looking. Yeah, people people aren't just walking by, but they're paying attention and looking at things. Especially if it's like, hey, I was taking a walk and I saw this thing, you know, as opposed to my I'm a professional and here's what I saw. Right. You know? I just had a colleague send me something <laughs> over the the weekend. She was on Etsy 
and there was like it was a sticker or some like art form, mm-hmm. um, and it was. I look like maybe a, a moth, a true moth that was hand drawn. But she said it was remarkable the color pattern. Everybody's like, "Well, that looks like spotted lanternfly," <laughs> and she's like, "Yes, <laughs> it's working." <laughs> yeah, because I, I would imagine at some point you're putting all this effort into you know spotted lanternfly now, uh, and then you're like, "Okay," and then you just wait, right? Because all you can do is wait to see what people do with this information, right? And it's a delicate balance. I mean. <clears throat> We don't want to be alarmed or, mm-hmm. you know, have that sense of alarmness. Yeah. And so it, it, we walk a fine line. We want to raise awareness. We want to engage, but we don't want people, like, I was at an event over the weekend, and they were like, well, what can I spray to kill them? And I'm like, well, there are things that will kill them, mm-hmm. but we're not at that point. You know, we've mm-hmm. got to have an infestation. So you just going out and spraying isn't, <laughs> isn't the answer right now. Yeah. But you have to be careful because that's, some people's reaction is, oh, an insect, I'm going to grab a bottle and spray. Yeah. Well, it won't, it won't ever come if I spray. Well, no, you, you have to wait for the arrival because spraying isn't doing anything if the insect isn't there. Yeah, it's not. Besides, it's, you're killing other things yeah, that might say, be beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's, that's a huge battle, too, is like, what's a, what's a beneficial bug? It's, it's almost like, what's a weed? Like, mm-hmm. anything can be a weed to somebody. And same thing with, like, if you go to one person, like, I don't, I don't like any bugs. Get them out of here. Like how how to like push that idea of like there are some bugs that are okay to be around. Right. You know, obviously people don't want them in their house, but if you see ladybugs, that's good. And you want ladybugs, you know, like right. all these different different things, you know. And I find that part of my job to be challenging to engage at a at a different level. I mean, I like bugs, right? So yeah. I like insects. That's but there are people that don't and they have a fear, but um, you know, people will say, well, I'm just going to spray. Well, do you like to eat things like <laughs> apples? And, you know, because what do they say now? Every thir- one out of every three bites that we make um, or feed on is a result of pollinators. Mm. And so I try to, you know, pull that into the conversation um, just so people have a larger awareness of the environment and what's going on. Yeah. I uh, I remember I was excited when I found a uh, praying mantis egg mass in my backyard. I'm like, oh, man, this is sweet. And I was showing everybody. And then my wife's like, wait, does that mean there's going to be a bunch of little tiny praying mantis everywhere? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, but it's good. We're we fine. Yeah. <laughs> you, won't, you won't notice it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll tell you one bug that, that um, drives me crazy is I have um, raspberries. And one year, one season, there were so many Japanese beetles everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's... What I tell people is like they they like I still had raspberries, um, but like it just everything just looked ugly. Right. And and then I I was like oh you know I'll buy this trap and I think that made it worse. Yes. I think it just attracted them to my yard. Oh, you just walked right into what I was gonna say. So you know people see those traps yeah. and or you know their neighbor has one and it's full, so they feel oh my gosh I'm doing this wonderful yeah. service because look at all these insects that, these Japanese beetles that I'm killing. Well, it's baited with a lure, mm-hmm. uh, both uh, like a sex pheromone lure and okay. then also a floral lure. So those beetles are like attracted to that. And so if you have like a large lot and can put it in the back corner, I mean, that's one thing, yeah. right? Because then you're attracting them away from your plants that you want to protect. Yeah. But so often I'm driving in a community and they have one of those beetle bags like in the middle of their rose garden. Oh, or yeah. in their, and I'm like, no. You're just drawing everybody's into your garden. Yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, I had it pretty close to my raspberries. Yeah. But again, my kids were still able to eat them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it's frustrating. And then I have can- I had canna too, you know, and they they were all over those canna. Um, but it, it's it's amazing how one one year 
have all these pests. And then the next year, like last year, I had planted a bunch of canna and there was nothing. I still mm-hmm. had my raspberries and there was nothing. How does, how, like, is it just temperature that just, or like, because everything's the same for the most part, but there was just no bugs. Yeah, so temperature can play a role, especially with our grubs. So the Japanese beetle um, spends part of its life under the ground as a grub. And so often if, and that's um, a stage where, I mean, they can move a little bit, especially when they're, you know, feeding. But as a pupa or just coming out of winter when they're not real active yet, if we have a lot of rain, it could flood an area where they're located in the soil and it could kill them. Okay. And so a lot of these high fluctuations, Dr. Shetler, um, who's retired from Ohio State. I like listening to him. Yeah. Yeah. um, He really connects it with what's going on underneath the soil. Okay. And so, um, and I think, you know, with these temperature, or not temperatures, but weather fluctuations that we have where we're getting two and three inches of rain at a time, potentially that could um, impact the grub population. I was just going to ask you, we've had, it's been a pretty wet winter and yeah. early spring now. Um, and just, ba- you know, based on that knowledge, like it seems like, well, maybe this would be a uh, low grub season because of that yeah i tell you the worst thing and i haven't had much experience but i remember working i worked for uh, dana uh across the street from from um on door on door street across the street from inverness and we had a huge like i didn't know what it was my boss knew exactly what it was but he wanted me to learn so he's like go check it out see what it is i go it's grubs everywhere that like all the soils turned up he goes yeah but what's turning up the soil I was like, I have no idea. I'm new, you know. And yeah. he was like, Well, it's probably raccoons or possums digging up the soil to get to them. I was like, Okay, so he goes, So you're not treating four grubs because that's we're not worried about that right now. Now you got to treat. How are we going to persuade those those pests to go other places? And he he told me about uh, malorganite, mm-hmm. uh, and I use it in my in my gardens. Um, but and I don't know if it was just lucky, but we put that down and there was no pest or whatever. And I asked why. He goes, "Well, it's sewer sludge." This is what I just what I've been telling people, but it could be wrong. It's sewer sludge, so the animals smell it and they don't want to be around it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I use it, and I've never like had to fence off anything, and I just use it in my garden. And the bad thing is, when I had a dog, he would eat it, and I'm like, "No, don't eat that." Right. <laughs> but but it's cool to like learn all these little things, like, and that was probably. 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, and I still tell people about malorganite, mm-hmm. and it's just from that one boss I had. Right. Yeah. Well, and to kind of in that same avenue, so a lot of people equate mole activity with grubs. And so oh. when they have the moles going through their yards, they're like, I got a treat for grubs. Well, that kind of dates back. It's kind of an interesting story that the moles will eat everything. In fact, moles, their main diet is earthworms, okay. which, I mean, we want earthworms, yeah. at least the... The European, or yeah. yeah, not the not the jumping ones yeah. that are on the radar, but um, but years ago when people would treat their lawn for grubs, it would kill all insects in the soil, uh. and so even the earthworms, and so then the moles would move on. So they equated, hey, I treated my lawn, uh. I got rid of the grubs, the moles left. So now we're doing better with science and having chemicals that are just killing grubs yeah. and leaving the earthworms and other beneficial insects. So they treat for the grubs. They still have moles, and they're like, "Well, what the heck's going on? My grub control, you know, must have failed." Mm-hmm. No, it's because you still have insects yeah. there, right? And so then we go to the option of, you know, trapping is really the best thing for moles mm-hmm. because we want to have insects in our soil profile. I mean, that's just a healthy environment. Yeah, I, moles are where um, people always ask how to get rid of them. I was like, "You got to trap them." We had those uh, scissor traps, I think we yeah. call them. 
Uh, but people don't people don't like to see dead animals, right? So they'll use those like poison worms or whatever. And I was like, but you don't even know if you get them. Like I, I like I I want to know that this thing is out of right out of my my life. Now, like I live in Perrysburg, so it's clay, so they, we don't get a lot of moles there. But uh, same thing at Dana. Like I was unfortunately I was tasked with uh, pest removals. That was like one of my things I did. So I always I had to trap uh, moles or um, uh, groundhogs and that kind of stuff. Uh, but people, there's, I didn't, I don't like it. But it was, I, I got to get paid. So, but a lot of people don't like dealing with right pests. And I guess that's why they call people to yeah <laughs> deal with their pests. We had one. I remember we were trying to trap a skunk. I think, um, and we got a raccoon. And my boss, was, I was like, "What are we doing with this raccoon now? Like, what are we supposed to do with it? Because technically, you can't like take it anywhere. Right. You just got to release it on your property. So it's like having to deal with all these things. You know that." You know, now I can say, like, you know, we. I remember one time we did get a skunk. We had to hold the tarp up as we're walking towards it so we don't get sprayed. Absolutely. <laughs> um, do you get, do you, and I don't know if it's you or uh, any people, uh, more people in your office, but do you get calls? Like, how many calls do you get? Like, hey, I don't know what this bug is, or can you help me figure out how to deal with this bug? So we do. Or emails, I guess. Yeah. Um, and actually, I mean, it was calls early on, um, and I would tell people. So we have a horticulture hotline oh, okay. that we have designated days and times that people call. And that worked really well early in my career. Yeah. Um, but as things have evolved, um, the internet, right? I yeah. mean, anybody can Google anything, right, and, and get the answer. Um, I found that the questions that we get are harder. Because oh. they try, they they went on their own to try to find that yeah. information, and oh, I couldn't find it. So, you know, grub control or moles or whatever—that's an easy, easy, you know, reach or easy task. Yeah. But so we're getting harder ones, more difficult to identify, and people want instant, right? So they're on Facebook, you know, hey, what is this? And it's so we try to try to manage that and. Um, but I mean, we're not there seven days a week, 24 yeah, hours a day. Yeah. And l- most <laughs> of the time they get good information, but occasionally there'll be somebody who's like, well, that's this. And I did this. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's not it. And, and I don't, don't want to do that. Yeah. And so, um, it's nice to be able to, um, have fact sheets that we can kind of refer to. Mm-hmm. So it's not just Amy saying, oh, that was not good. Yeah. But Hey, read this fact sheet for more information. I think you'll find that helpful. Yeah, because I think people like uh, flyers and stuff more than just someone's comment. Yes. Because then they got like, well, who's this person? Or who, you know, right. obviously, if they're more involved, then they're going to know more people, but yeah. you know, they feel better if they have something they can. Right. Click well, on and I mean, there's an app for to identify plants, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. A, there's a lot of them, but you can't just, oh, yep, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, you have to take that next step to just confirm because sometimes those apps aren't right. Yeah. Um, and, it's you know I don't I think the apps have a place and they're really good, but don't just take that word that oh yep that's what it is and dig a little bit deeper just mm-hmm. to make sure I mean does that plant even grow in our area yeah. or or is yeah. that a plant down in Florida that <laughs> yeah I uh, I remember uh, I think it was last year I I had to, I had to go into I worked at Pearson at the time I had to go in on a Saturday to help pick up garbage or something I brought my son with me and we were driving around and I was showing him the difference between um. Box elder, poison ivy, and Virginia creeper. Yep, because they can all look very similar. So we were we were going through. I'd stop. I'd point at them and I'd explain to them what the different things are. And then as we're driving, then I got to the point where throughout the day, as we're driving, now we're driving past them. I go, "What's that?" And he'll tell me. He's like, "Oh, what's that?" And he'll tell me. You know, but just being out there, being able to see it. But it goes back to like 
you take a picture of one thing, it can look like three different plants. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard for that app to to tell unless you can tell like what does it have red stems or green stems or right. you know if there's other things information you can put in. But I think it's also good like the more obviously the more knowledge people can have the better, but it's just trying to hone it into exactly the best. Absolutely. The best part of it. Yeah. And you think I mean I'm not an expert at, at any oh, correct. you yeah. know different things yeah. and so what might I struggle with, right? As and if I ask a question about plumbing, right? I mean, oh okay, yeah, you tell me to do that. I'll but we can do that. Yeah. And so we all have kind of our passion and our expertise, but we all can learn about things across the board that might be really important to us or, hey, we just have to know about it because I have poison ivy in my garden and I don't want to get the rash. Yeah. What's, what's right now, what is your favorite thing to talk about or to teach or to educate people on? So I really do like the invasive species. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was not my background. Um, it was more just general horticulture. Um, so I like to, you know, raise awareness, keep people updated on the latest research. Um, but I do have to say I was called out to a homeowners association, um, in Monclova township. Mm-hmm. That, um, association has, um, like 600 homes and about equal or plus number of pear trees, ornamental pears. Oh. And so they're <laughs> losing them, right, as they yeah. age. And so there's a committee that I, they're just... They need to be like a poster child for other HOAs. <laughs> but they have gone through this whole process of identifying what plants they need to replace the pears with. And mm-hmm. so it's not like they're cutting them all down at once. But as they lose them, they actually have a plan where different streets have different plants. So they have diversity yeah, of age. Yeah. And so I actually left that program really excited um, because it was something positive about horticulture. And people were like engaged. Yeah. And, so I talked about the importance and the value of plants. Okay. Because people see them as an expense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I shared, you know, our communities buy, you know, put down roads and sidewalks. And those, they put the investment and then it just deteriorates, right? So they have to invest again. Where trees, you invest, the bigger the trees get, the more they pay you back. Yeah. And so it's kind of a reverse. It's a, a, a shining star, right, with our municipalities or our own landscape mm-hmm. and so trying to um, share the importance and the value of trees when you when you went to that HOA meeting I would imagine like you're walking in and and maybe you, I don't know if this is your first time there or what but because when you think of neighborhoods you think of all right well this person they're just going to put in a thousand of the same tree but like to go in there like you said to walk and hear their plan and then at one point you're like well why do you need me why why am I here you guys are doing a really good job because I did like because I was like oh are they going to have a diverse tree set right. because that's that's where we come into the problems you know when when there is a, an infestation of something then all that tree gets wiped out and now your your street or your town or your whatever mm-hmm. looks bare you know right and, and i i get it humans do not want to be told what to do right yeah. we want to have our own opportunity to formulate a plan and be able to choose what plant we want in front of our house and you know that was addressed i mean you, they can plant really what they want in their landscape but think about in the sh- the tree lawn between the street and the sidewalk. Yeah. I mean, they took into consideration like how much space. And so we're not going to plant a huge tree in a small space. Mm-hmm. But yet we have right-of-ways that will that you can have those large trees. And so they were really good at identifying spaces and then matching the trees. And so yeah, there were probably some people that were like, "Well, 
I, I wanted that tree over yeah. there. And it's like, well, you're going to have to go for a walk every night and you'll just enjoy that tree. And so it's, I told them it's kind of like an arboretum feel. Yeah. I mean, instead of seeing the same tree when you do go for your walk or you drive into your home or your, the, the place where you live, now you're going to see variety. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of exciting. Yeah. My, uh, my subdivision has old pear trees too. And, um, they're dying and they're cutting them down, but they're they're just not putting anything back. Uh, so it is a little bit like, like do something. You know, I, I know I know it's the county, but our, uh, our township was like, well, we got to put something back or do you know what? Are we just gonna have everyone's just gonna have bare bare spots, you know. And right. I know as as a homeowner, I can plant in there if I want to, but they can also dig it up because that's the eaves. The what right. do they call it? The I forget what they call it, but. Uh, like they can just come in and do whatever they need to do, right. you know. So I don't, I don't want to also invest money in stuff that someone's just going to get ripped up. But something needs to go in. Something needs to happen. Right. You know? Well, I need to connect you with this group and use them as a model <laughs> yes, for other yes. for other communities or HOAs. Yeah, because it's it's uh, it is frustrating, and I know the I have one right now that blocks the street light coming into our house, and it's old, and it's I, I keep pruning it because I want it, eventually if I don't prune it, the big chunks are going to fall off. So I keep pruning it and you know chipping it up. But at some point, you know, it's just not going to be there anymore, and then we'll have nothing. <laughs> and that you mentioned the street lights, so there were probably some locations in that HOA that trees were planted where they really shouldn't be because mm-hmm. of street lights oh, or okay. you know um, utilities kind of thing. And so they addressed that and said, okay, you may have a tree now, but it's not the best place for that tree, so we're going to have to move it to a different location or. That particular planting site just might not have a tree. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, they took it upon themselves because they were afraid if, you know, as these trees would die, if they weren't being replanted, then you're going to come into a community in 10 years that doesn't have a lot of trees. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just give them kudos yeah, for, cool. you know, they're really forward thinking. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite tree? I do. Yeah. And so it's the ginkgo. Okay. Oh, which, yeah. Yeah. which is not native. And so uh, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> and, and I love, you know, native plants. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if you've ever read any of Doug Talamay's books. Um, and so he talks about, you know, the importance of the environment and the, ch- the plants that we choose. And he's a huge proponent for oaks because they support so many insects that then support so many birds and other wildlife. Yeah. And um, he actually came to Toledo, boy, it's probably been 10 years ago now, and he's got a lot of books, um, awesome author, very engaging, but ginkgo is almost like a plastic plant to him because they don't get insects and diseases to support the environment. Oh, I didn't know that. And and, and as horticulturists, that's like one thing like, oh, yeah, we're going to choose those plants because we want less insects and diseases, you know. In our way of thinking, but you know, not like the broader range, right? So it's kind of worlds colliding here. But my master gardener volunteers all know that I I love ginkgo. I mean, yeah. it's just a beautiful plant. I love the fall color. Um, and he was up on stage, and he's like, "And those people that plant ginkgos, and you know, they don't have any worth." And oh. like everybody's like turning towards me, and I'm like sinking in my seat, and I'm like, "Okay, wait a second. They may not have any benefits of like insect populations." Mm-hmm. But they definitely capture stormwater runoff, and so they do have a value, yes, right? Yeah. And they have the aesthetic value, and so it's just kind of a, a like an ongoing joke now that Amy <laughs> likes a plant that that doesn't isn't real helpful in no the worth. environment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I, I uh, at my when I worked at Dana, we had seven, I think it was six or seven large ginkgo trees behind our shop, all uh, 
female. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, but it was not anywhere the public was going to be. So, like, it was behind our shop, between our shop and a neighborhood or whatever. Uh, but, man, did it smell like dog poop. Yeah. <laughs> whenever they were down. But it was it was also a cool thing because you never, ever see them. Hardly ever. Like, see the, the fruit of right. those, you know. And then we start thinking, like, we, every year people would be like, you know, go online or whatever. Like, well, you can make tea with them or do this or that. I go, it smells horrible. I wouldn't want to put that in my body at all. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, I mean, different um, cultural groups. Mm-hmm will come in, even in Toledo, where they have some street trees, and collect them. Yeah. And I've always wanted to know, like, what do you do with them? Yeah. Because the other thing that I've recently found out is they have arushio oil on the, the seed itself or on the outside covering of the seed. Okay. Which arushio oil is what a lot of people are allergic to with poison ivy. Oh. And um, I actually was handling some ginkgo seeds um, just out of the... Um, on the ground. I mean, they weren't dried or anything, but I developed a rash and I was teaching a program at Woodlawn Cemetery and we were talking about ginkgos and the female and the males. And before I could say something, one of the volunteers picked up one and, you know, was looking oh, at it. And I'm no. like, no, I said, they have arusha oil. I said, some people have no reaction. <clears throat> yeah. And she's like, oh my gosh, I get poison ivy really bad. And so, I mean, somebody handed her wipes and we're wiping, you know, her hands off. And she said, by the uh, time she got in the car and was driving home, like her whole arm just started to like oh, have this rash. No. So I like, okay, now when I teach <clears throat> about that, I need to start out with the oil first. They're like, don't touch. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh well amy um i told you an hour and i don't want to keep you any longer but uh before we go is there is there any uh and if there is like uh links and stuff i can put them in the show notes uh so send me anything that uh that you want would want people to know but as you're, you're speaking here now is there something that you that we didn't talk about or that you wanted to for people to know about yeah, so I will share our um, Lucas County website, which we're trying to update with events and programs, uh, which is lucas.osu.edu. And then we're also on Facebook um, with that link. Again, trying to reach uh, residents where they're at, mm-hmm. um, either on social media or on the web, to try to disseminate information from the university Um Right here in Lucas County. A lot of people say, well, extension is like a best kept secret because I don't know anything about them. Or what do, what do you do um, until they find out about us? And they're like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And so anything to, to raise awareness and engage people um, getting their questions answered about horticulture, we'd love to help. Okay, yeah. Like I said, I'll put those links in the show notes so people can click on them and, and uh, you can be bombarded with more questions. All right. That's what it's all about. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Amy, for, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks again to my guest, Amy Stone, for coming on the podcast. Uh, I really, really enjoyed her her talking about all the invasive pests. Uh, I think it's important that people understand what's going on here in the county and, and how we're, how there's multiple people trying to deal with these situations and how the community community can be a huge help uh, in you know locating bugs and different invasive species and just understanding you know as a community as a county we're a big voice and we can help you know, find a lot of these things, uh, potentially before they become a big problem. So I enjoyed her, you know, giving us resources again, check out the show notes. You can click on the links there to, to find out any information. Um, it was great to, to see her passion come out. You know, she's, she's really passionate about this kind of stuff and, and wanting to educate people. So it was awesome to, to see that and, and to be able to, to be a part of that today. So thanks again, uh, for, to Amy for, for coming on the podcast. Uh, thanks as always to Fort Meigs CrossFit. Um, 
Check out uh, any information that you want to know. Check out their website, uh, fortmexcrossfit.com. As always, thanks to Big Daddy Graphics, Cuttlefish Graphics, Real JP Multimedia, and Perrysburg Junior High STEM Lab for always helping out the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.